Welcome back to the new episode of the Lacrosse Thinkers. And today we have Dr. Andrew Jaggins. Uh, it's hard for me to know actually what your occupation is. I do have this online that is, you're the Athletics Director of Sports Medicine Research at Mayo Clinic, but you also teach at UWL. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your occupations? Yeah, so I, I started at Mayo about a year ago, and I was brought on as the Director of Sports Medicine Research um, at our Onalaska clinic in town here. So my primary role is to kind of oversee and develop a lot of the research projects that come out of that department. Um, so through grant writing, different study proposals, and then the actual data collection process itself. So I kind of have my hands in a little bit of everything uh, in that space. And then I do also see patients out there as well. So anyone in the community that's looking for uh, any kind of guidance or consulting related um, visits pertaining to sports nutrition, training, strength conditioning. Uh, we have a lot of equipment over in our lab there that allows us to do different testing for body composition, uh, metabolism, strength performance and such. So we kind of have a lot of different services that we can offer to patients that you know could be a high school athlete, that could be a 70-year-old triathlete or anything in between. So um, we do kind of work with patients out there as well. And then, as you mentioned, I'm an adjunct here at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse in their exercise and sports science department. So I teach uh, their sport nutrition classes online in their undergrad and graduate programs. Cool. So today our topic will be the science of weight loss. But just during our conversation before this podcast, uh, you do have a podcast on your own. So would you mind just talk a little bit about that? I do, yep. So uh, in collaboration with Joel Lukey, who is the uh, head athletic trainer and director of sports performance in our athletics program here on campus, uh, he and I and then a chiropractor, Dr. Kyle Boyland, who runs Cooley Health out in West Salem, the three of us started a podcast called Clinically Pressed uh, a couple of years ago. And so we've just kind of done different interviews with uh, experts in the sports performance, sports medicine world, whether it's a chiropractor, physical therapist, coach, sometimes athletes themselves. Um, and so we just kind of pick their brain on different insider tips on how to optimize performance, recovery, things that they should eat or should do through training. So uh, we've had that going for several years now, and it's a good excuse to meet uh, really interesting people and have good conversations. So we've enjoyed doing it. So if for guys who are listening, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there is definitely more, 60 more episodes if you want to dig more. Yep, yep, absolutely. Topic, right? We'll okay. link to that. So let's just start with the science of weight loss. So what are some popular strategies for weight loss we hear right now? And you also mentioned some of them are healthy and some of them are actually pseudoscience. Yes. You might give us some, uh, uh, how to say, some, some kind of ideas on that? Yeah, this is a topic I, I kind of like talking a lot about because there's so many different opinions and, and strategies that you can kind of tackle this idea of weight loss. And, and you see a lot of kind of fads come and go through the nutrition and, and fitness uh, kind of industry. Some of them are a little bit more backed by science and some are kind of completely random and just something that was you know, advocated from someone online. So I, I would say some of the more um, popular strategies right now, you hear a lot about intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding where you're only eating during certain periods of the day or maybe you go an entire day where you're completely fasted so you're not consuming anything uh, during that particular day or maybe you stop eating at 5 o'clock at night and you do more of a kind of a time-restricted type of eating schedule. So the thought process behind that is that by doing so um, in limiting when you're eating throughout the day, you're more likely to just eat less throughout the day, especially if you go an entire day uh, fasting. Obviously, you're not consuming any calories, so you're more likely to be in what's kind of called a calorie deficit. So you're, you're burning more calories than you're, you're putting in or you're consuming throughout the day. And if you do that enough over periods of time, it's going to lead to weight loss. So that's one, uh, I'd say, kind of current, more popular strategy that I hear a lot about right now. Uh, another popular strategy is the ketogenic diet or trying keto is, is how people will sometimes describe it. And the keto diet is one that's very, very high fat and very, very low carbohydrate. And by doing so, you, you kind of eliminate your body's internal stores of carbohydrates and it forces your body to adapt to other fuel substrates. And in that case, that's going to be body fat and also the fat that you're consuming throughout the day and, and if again you kind of eat that way for long enough periods of time you you enter this state of nutritional ketosis it's called where your body will start producing um, ketones that you can also kind of metabolize and use for fuel and energy production so uh, again a ketogenic diet it's really just a way of manipulating the types of foods that you're eating 
and why that can lead to weight loss is generally by restricting, in this case, carbohydrates. Again, that person is just less likely to overeat carbohydrates, which if we think of what kinds of foods those are, those are crackers, chips, desserts, cookies, foods that are sometimes very, very high in calories. And if you eat too much of those, it's going to put you in kind of an excess energy state or consuming too many calories. So again, it's just another strategy that you can do so that you create a calorie deficit at the end of the day. So, um, you know, there's nothing really magical, I would say, about those diets. Uh, They're just very different strategies, obviously. But at the end of the day, they help someone eat less on a consistent basis. And if you can do that, consistently, uh, that person's likely to to lose weight over time. So uh, with diets, usually at the end of the day, if they're creating some type of energy deficit or or calorie deficit, it's likely to work uh, in terms of weight loss. Now that could come with other health benefits. Um, If someone's diabetic, sometimes reducing carbohydrate intake can help improve markers of insulin sensitivity and um, again, kind of adapt or create some metabolic adaptations that offer other health-related benefits. So it's important sometimes to discuss other things than just weight loss itself, but oftentimes that's what people are most focused on. And, and really there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of go about it. It's, it's a matter of finding the diet and the eating style that, that works best for you. At the end of the day, the best diet's the one that you're able to stick to and follow long-term, uh, because the second you go off that diet, you know, you're, you're really susceptible to regaining that weight. So that's why it's important to find something that's sustainable uh, and practical so that, again, you could just adhere to it long term. So it's, it's like, like doing weight loss through diet is the ones we heard about, like you lose 100 pounds, but then once you stop doing that, you just gain the 100 pounds back really quickly you, compared you, to bodybuilding, like exercising and everything else. Yeah, you can. It kind of depends on on what it means when you you go off the diet. So if you were, if we take an extreme example, someone who is kind of morbidly obese, maybe 350 pounds, let's say they try keto for a couple of years and they they do great, they lose 180 pounds. Uh, If the second they go off that diet, they revert back to their old ways of eating, whether it's the carbohydrates alone that were the problem, but if they just consume excess calories, slowly that weight Um, can come back on. So really, if you look at permanent weight loss and making long-term sustainable kind of body transformation changes, you have to create a new way of eating altogether. And you you really have to adhere to that long-term because if you don't, you're going to revert back to your old ways. Uh, It's not going to happen overnight, but yeah, you'll slowly gain that weight back and kind of get back to where you were if, if you go back to those eating styles. So it's not some like one-time payment you pay, you get lost. It's more like change your behavior for the rest of your life, just change your lifestyle to another way. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, and you see the same, you know, people don't just gain 200 pounds overnight. It was slowly over a couple decades that maybe they were less active, ate too much, and they slowly got up to that 350 pounds. And, and so we see the same thing going the other direction. You know, it's, it's little changes over time that lead to substantial weight loss or weight gain. It's nothing magical. It's basically your lifestyle determines how you look. Yeah, and same thing with diets. You know, the, I just mentioned too there with with the keto diet, intermittent fasting. There's Weight Watchers. There's Nutrisystem. There's um, you know all kinds of those different diets out there, gluten free diet or you know whatever you you kind of adhere to. It, they all have their own unique way of manipulating food intake. But um, at the end of the day, if they get you to eat less, it it could be successful in leading to weight loss. I had a friend, I recently saw him, actually he came here to visit my baby and uh, he's actually doing keto. He was trying to sell that idea on me. I could totally see that thing work on him. But yep. then he tried to explain the ideas to me and he just mentioned like, okay, you know, idea comes from, basically this is like a symptom of a disease. So that's the moment I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this sounds fantastic. Like you can manipulate your diet to through to go through weight loss. But, some, but when I heard the story about the disease, the key word, I say, well, okay, is that, can nothing be harmful to your health? And can you elaborate on that? Like what should we watch for as an indicator for good weight loss, just other than just, I lost so much pound. You talk about like body compositions and anything like that. Yep, um, so a lot of times when I work with people, I, I try to explain to them that it's more than just the weight on the scale um, and more than just what your body weight says. It's important to also look at other facets of your health 
Um, and then also even digging a little bit deeper into your body weight of what's your body composition look like? So what type of weight and type of tissues do you have? Are you very um, muscular and very lean or do you have excess body fat? Uh, those different kind of tissue types and amounts of those are going to create different body fat percent values for a person. So weighing one thing or, or, or whatever that number on the scale tells you is one thing, but what your body fat percent is or what your body composition is, that tells you much more information about kind of the, the status of your health and in your body weight itself. So a lot of times I work with them or I work with people on not just, again, improving body weight, but let's improve body composition. Let's focus on maybe losing body fat uh, while at the same time focus on maintaining uh, usually it's referred to as like fat-free mass or lean body mass. So that's that's kind of the good type of weight if you want to describe it that way. So bone mass, um, connective tissue, ligaments, cartilage, and then muscle mass usually gets factored into that as well. And those are, those are kind of good weight or good tissue types that you want. Uh, you want to maintain throughout your life. You want to kind of have as much as you can so that when you're an older adult, uh, kind of in your sunset years, you're not that frail old person that's can't carry their own groceries. They're one fall away from breaking their hip and going into a nursing home. You know, you kind of want to be strong and, and functional and maintain some autonomy later in life. Uh, so it's important to maintain that fat-free mass or lean body mass as best you can. And where sometimes people will run into problems is they go through this big weight loss transformation, but they may have lost a lot of muscle mass uh, throughout that process. And that's not a, a type of change that you really want. So you kind of want to be strategic about, well, what type of weight are you losing? Uh, and that's why, again, focusing on body composition just tends to tell a little bit much more about the story. Uh, but in the same regard, some people can kind of be frustrated because you could take someone that starts a new diet and exercise program, they could lose a lot of body fat, but they could also put on maybe two or three pounds of muscle. So at the end of the day, your body weight hasn't changed. It's kind of a wash, but you've made really good improvements in your body composition and you probably look better, feel better, your clothes fit better, you're probably healthier, but that number on the scale didn't move at all. And sometimes people just, they get frustrated because they're really hung up on, well, I didn't lose any weight. This, this new program doesn't work. Uh, what's the point of doing it? But in reality, again, they made some really positive changes and, and significantly improved their body composition. So. That's why, again, just digging a little bit deeper when we talk about body weight and weight loss is one thing. It's, well, what kind of weight are you losing or what other types of, of changes are occurring within your body? Is it pretty easy to monitor your body composition or do we need to find a professional? There's a lot of newer technology advances coming out that's making it a little bit easier to do, a little bit cheaper to do. Um, people have probably seen some of these devices in different gyms or fitness centers. Some of them are handheld devices like a you know kind of just looks like a small handheld video game controller or console and that's uh, called a bioelectrical impedance analyzer and it's a way to kind of estimate your body fat percent and body composition uh, some of them are better than others uh, whereas you know like our sports medicine department we have kind of the gold standard way of doing a body composition test that gives you much more accurate and detailed information uh, so you can just put a little bit more faith in the accuracy of that device so that, again, when you're tracking it, you can really get a good idea of what types of changes are occurring. Whereas if you're relying on some of the commercially available handheld devices, their margin of error might be so big that you're missing what's really going on uh, when you're using it to track changes over time. So you kind of get what you pay for with some of those devices and technology, but it, it, the science is getting better. Those devices are getting more accurate. Um, as they kind of continue to emerge within that market. So is it like affordable, at least, the price? Um, so if you want to buy little handheld ones, most of those are under $100. Oh, uh, so that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah, whereas we have like a DEXA scanner that we have out in the clinic that, you know, those are dollars $60,000 that obviously is not affordable for even most gyms or fitness centers to, to purchase something like that. So they have... I would say devices that are kind of in between those extremes and some of those you know are like ten thousand dollars so a, a gym might invest in that and that way if you you know join a membership or purchase a membership at a gym you might get a body composition test and and so it's becoming more affordable in, in certain spaces like that so you just kind of have to i would say seek out 
um, someone who might be an expert in that area so that you're getting what you're what you think you're getting I does, guess does and it's the rec worth your money have it? or any any gym uh, you know I don't know if the rec center has them so the Mitchell Hall here on campus the human performance lab there they have some body composition devices there that anyone on campus or from the community can contact them go in for a test and then we do the same out at the clinic and uh, on Alaska so you can call us up and say hey I want to come in and get a body composition test done so there's the ability to do that even within our our local area here in La Crosse that's nice so let's go come back to the body compos compositions right so uh, in order to just to have an all-around rebuild of your body compared to just the weight loss uh, is there any other activities we need to do together with the just you know manipul manipulating our diet like exercising whatever yep yeah, absolutely. Physical activity and exercise also play a big role in any kind of body weight uh, change, but but definitely with a body composition change. So if we're just talking about weight loss, I don't want to say you don't have to do exercise because I'm always an advocate of exercise. It's beneficial for anybody in any situation, sick, healthy, old, young, normal weight, overweight, regardless, exercise can make a positive impact on your health. But you can lose weight without exercising. Kind of going back to why diets work, if you just eat less or create a calorie deficit on a consistent basis through manipulating your diet, you can lose weight. Um, now, physical activity can help in that because anytime you're doing activity or exercising, you're burning calories. It takes energy to move your body around on a treadmill or in the weight room or out on a, a biking trail. And so by doing that, you burn energy, you're burning calories, and again, that helps manipulate our, our kind of state of energy balance. So you're in that scenario, you're burning more calories than you might normally would. Again, that goes back to helping create a calorie deficit. If you burn more calories than you consume throughout the day, again, you can lose weight. So exercise is a way to manipulate one side of that equation. You're, you're burning calories, you're increasing your energy expenditure throughout the day. That might make it easier for you to be in that calorie deficit to lose weight. Um, so kind of combining diet and activity is really the best approach because that's a little bit more uh, feasible and, and easier to kind of manipulate your energy balance in a way that's going to help you lose weight. Uh, and then also they, they complement each other really well uh, with, again, some of the other health-related benefits. So with weight loss, again, both can be a helpful tool to help you get to that end goal. And then if we look at changing body composition, exercise plays even a bigger role in that um, because sometimes again if you go through a big weight loss transformation and you don't necessarily eat the right things or you don't do any activity with it you can lose a lot of fat but you could also lose a lot of muscle mass um, and you know it's kind of a, a stark way of putting it but you can get skinny fat is a way that I kind of describe it where that person lost a lot of weight um, their weight is is closer to what they want it to but they still have a lot of body fat um, and they have kind of a poor body composition because they've lost a lot of muscle going through that change. Now, if you were to take that person and instead maybe increase their protein intake, um, maybe add in some resistance training uh, a couple days a week, those two things will help them maintain uh, their muscle mass when they go through that weight loss uh, program. And that's going to help them maintain that so that you don't see that kind of skinny fat at the end of the day where they've lost some weight but they've also improved body composition they've maintained their lean body mass and those are all really positive changes that will help them maintain those changes kind of throughout the rest of their their lifespan so being strategic not only with the diet but also with what kind of activity or what kind of exercising you're adding into the picture can really help manipulate your body composition in a certain way that's really cool so I don't know if you can offer this, but let's say we imagine in the ideal world uh, for a student here, can you give us a rough idea what will be like a good strategy, like what kind of diet combined with what kind of activity for how long a day, which is affordable for like a student level? Mm -hmm. Would you like a, like a rough strategic planning of activities to, to do weight loss, the best combination? Yeah, for, for exercise, I, I think, in my opinion, um, and there's a lot of evidence to support it as well, it's really best to, to do a little bit of everything. So what that means is doing 
maybe two days a week, you're doing some type of aerobic or cardiovascular training. So that's getting on a bike, going out for a jog, hopping on an elliptical at the rec center. It's you know in the middle of winter right now, so there's not a lot of outdoor options. Um, uh, so doing something like that two days a week, maybe two days a week, you also do some full body strength training. So you go into the weight room at the rec center, um, do eight to 10 different you know, exercises in there when you're, you're doing some form of resistance training. Uh, and then kind of in between there, it can be a, a part of those particular exercise sessions, or you, this is stuff that you can kind of do just periodically throughout the day. But I'm a big advocate of doing kind of regular mobility or stretching yoga type, you know, body movements where you're just moving, you know, in today's every, society, every, two hour, every one hour, it doesn't even have to be that frequently, as long as you're kind of doing it, I'd say at least once a day. Um, just because we sit so much now uh, in today's society, so that your body gets stiff, your joints get stiff. Um, and if that happens and then you try to go exercise, you're more likely to injure yourself because your body's not able to move properly. You don't have full range of motion. Uh, so I think it's important to do that as kind of just a regular maintenance type of thing where you're just, you're moving through full range of motion, uh, you know, as frequently as you can throughout the week. Because uh, again, otherwise you're just likely to get hurt exercising and then you have to stop doing all kinds of activity. And then I would say the last one, um, it's not even really exercise, it's just trying to break up long periods of sitting. So for students, they usually are kind of okay in that regard because a lot of, a lot of them have to walk um, to campus. Classes. Yeah, they're walking across campus, getting from class to class. But you know, some days there's there's days where I go into work, I, I sit at my desk and I don't leave till the end of the day, you know, and I look at my, my watch, it's like, geez, I only took 2,000 steps today. And, and that's, you know, really what we want to try to avoid. So just moving throughout the day. It doesn't have to be rigorous exercise, but if you can just move consistently throughout the day, uh, again, that goes a long way over long periods of time. So it doesn't have to be an advanced training program. You do a, a couple cardio sessions, a couple strength training sessions, and then just trying to promote activity throughout your week as best you can. You know, from the activity side of things, that's, that's really pretty good. And then for college students, their biggest battle that they're gonna fight is not going crazy at the dining center and then trying to limit kind of late night snacking where they're getting pizza and you know, all kinds of kind of junk food type options in their dorm room. So, you know, ramen, mac and cheese, pizza, pop tarts, the stuff that every college kid eats. I was in college, I ate those kinds of things. And, you know, they're easy to make, they're cheap, uh, but they're very low in, in terms of nutritional quality. Uh, people are likely to kind of overeat on them. A lot of those snack type foods are really highly processed. They're really highly kind of satiable is what it's called, where they they're loaded with salt, sugar, things that make you want to eat more of it. Um, so that's going to be kind of their biggest battle in terms of fighting weight gain. You know, a lot of times people joke about the freshman 15 where you switch from home-cooked meals, maybe some healthier options, and now you're living on your own. You have, um, you know, dining center buffet styles of foods where you just have as much food as you want, uh, or you can hit the ice cream sundae station every day, every meal. Um, so it's just making smarter choices throughout the week that will help not only prevent that weight gain, but if they're trying to lose weight, obviously those aren't going to be their best options uh, to be relying on. And then, you know, around here, again, that we have to worry about excess alcohol co consumption too on the weekend. So obviously those are highly caloric beverages. And if you have, you know, too many of them, that's a lot of extra calories that you're adding in on the weekends that throughout your um, – you know, semester or the year long, it just extra calories that can add up and make you more prone to add weight throughout the year. How big of a damage does alcohol do on your body composition? In moderation, it's not going to be completely detrimental, but they're just, they're excess calories that you don't really need otherwise. They don't really have a lot of nutritional value. It's just extra calories that, you know, add up in your daily intake total. So if you have one or two beers, you know, a couple days a week, that's not really that bad, I guess, in terms of excess calories that are going to add up to a lot of weight gain. But if you do five to 10 beers on the weekends, you know, a couple nights a week, that's a, that could be 500 to 1,000 extra calories in just alcohol. Yeah, I mean, a standard alcoholic drink probably has anywhere from 100 to 100 and 
60 calories in it. So that's just one. If you, again, have three to five of those at a sitting, that could add up close to 1,000 calories pretty quick. Um, and if you're trying to follow a 2,000-calorie-a-day diet to maintain your weight, that could be a 1,000 of those calories right there that provides you know, pretty much no nutritional value. Um, so you're not getting a lot of the other nutrients and, and vitamins and minerals that you need to make other kind of positive life changes, I guess, or, or impact your health in a positive way. So not to say you can't lose weight and still enjoy alcohol on an occasional basis. It, it's certainly doable. You just have to kind of manage again. Okay, I'm having a few drinks tonight. Maybe I'll eat a little bit less or I won't have my regular snack. Uh, so that at the end of the day, my, my calorie intake total is where it needs to be. So there's ways to do it. It's just kind of in moderation is going to be key. So basically self-discipline and self-moderation should be the key. Right. You need yep. to be aware of what you're yep. eating. Yep. And, the, you know, again, the problem is sometimes if, let's say, it's a Friday night, people are going out for a couple drinks, they're oh also more likely to get some wings or yeah. popcorn or, you know, pizza to go with it, and that's where you really see. You don't feel don't feel much difference between two beers and five beers, right? So yeah. they can go easily out. Yep, and then you pair – kind of junk food with that and uh, those calories will add up really really quick and that's how a lot of people will just kind of increase body weight without really thinking much of it i really would like your words on this it's just like one weekend night like that i ordered 10 chicken wings and five years which is comparable to how many hours of effort of my diet and uh, exercise during weekdays it's like if i do that thing once it destroy four days of, 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 of four days of my work then i will probably quit doing that right it's like four days Three days. Yeah, I mean the amount of the amount of exercise that you would have to do to kind of offset that in terms of a, a calorie exchange, it, it doesn't quite work out that nice and neat. But that's you know maybe the equivalency of running a marathon. I mean it's really yeah, it, it would be quite a bit. Five beers and, and ten wings uh, would easily. I'm just trying to do the math in my head. Probably over two thousand calories or close to it. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, usually you burn about that much running at least a half marathon, if not a full. So, yeah, that's why, like, a, a little going off rails like that can really kind of destroy your yeah, you think it's no big your deal. hard week of yeah. work that you put in. So it's trying to minimize, you know, some of those those nights or at least maybe instead of five beers and ten wings, it's half that. You know, that, that alone uh, can make a pretty big difference. So Cool. So let's move to the next topic we have on our list. We're talking about safeties of dietary supplements. So can you tell us, like, what is a dietary supplement? Yeah, that's so this is another area of uh, research that I do quite a bit of work in is looking at uh, the safety and kind of efficacy of, of different dietary supplements on the market. So in, in 1994, Congress passed an act that really kind of set the standard definition for what a supplement is, and it's any kind of ingredient that's meant to supplement the diet and that can be any type of protein amino acid any kind of herb vitamin mineral um, herbal extracts enzymes even some obscure like organ tissue kind of concentrates so there's a lot of kind of random things that fit underneath that umbrella of definition uh, but again it's just it's meant to be some type of supplementary supplementary uh, ingredient to the standard diet um, so what it doesn't include, it doesn't include pharmaceuticals, so medications, drugs, things like that don't fit into that umbrella. Um, Performance-enhancing drugs, so anabolic steroids, growth hormones, none of that stuff is in this category of dietary supplements. So I always like distinguishing what is and what isn't a dietary supplement. So if you go into a, a GNC store or the aisle in the grocery store, you, you kind of know where the supplement aisle is and, and generally what's in there. So if you look, there's vitamins, there's minerals, there's protein powders, bars, uh, sometimes energy shots, energy gels, creatine, pre-workout powders, you know, all that kind of stuff is fits in this umbrella of what a dietary supplement is. And there's, there's hundreds of them out there on the market. And there's new ones that come out each month, each year, so it's a it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And the problem is it's not the most regulated of industries. So depending on who you ask that question to, you're going to get a different answer. Some people say, oh, it's absolutely regulated. Uh, it falls underneath the FDA's purview. Others say it's not regulated at all. Um, I'm kind of in the middle. It technically does fall under the FDA's um, 
purview and they kind of oversee it and regulate it. My concern is that there's no pre-market regulation, meaning a company that's designing their supplement doesn't have to demonstrate any clinical safety evidence that says it's our product has been tested, it's safe for them to consume, and it validates our, our marketing claims or what we say in the bottle is actually what's, what's true. And we've done you know, substantial clinical trials to demonstrate that it's safe and effective. There's none of that that has to be done or none of that takes place uh, in terms of a pre-market regulation. The only time that you'll really see a lot of kind of hands-on involvement with the FDA is, is kind of what's called post-market regulation. So if it comes out that a lot of people got sick from a certain product, a lot of people ended up in the ER, and all of a sudden they can connect all these different adverse events throughout the country through you know, kind of a centralized reporting system, then all of a sudden the FDA will say, whoa, uh, we're going to contact this company, tell them to, to stop distributing and, and manufacturing their product until we can figure out what's going on, and they'll kind of do their own investigation um, that way. So if you want to call that regulated, that's kind of up to you to form your own opinion. I, I wish there was more regulation and more oversight and more kind of stipulations up front that companies had to to kind of follow before they could start selling a market. But if you and I wanted to go down the hall and mix up some powders and we could slap a label on it and sell it online if we wanted to. Um, You do, if you're developing a new dietary ingredient, you do have to send a letter to the FDA saying, hey, we've come up with this new amino acid some kind of peptide blend that has not been sold on the market, we do have to notify them, but we don't have to really demonstrate any kind of safety and efficacy beyond that. Um, the Federal Trade Commission also is a little bit involved in this process. So they're the organization that oversees the marketing side of it a little bit more so that companies theoretically can't just put whatever they want on the label and say, hey, it's going to cure you of X, Y, and Z, or it can help you build muscle, lose body fat, and all these different claims. The problem is that they can't quite keep up with the rapid growth of the market. So there's a lot of companies out there that say a lot of things on their labels that hasn't been shown in any kind of lab or scientific setting at all, and and they're getting away with it for the time being. Uh, If they get big enough, sometimes that's when they can get in trouble with some false claims or Another company might follow, file a lawsuit saying, hey, they're making all these false claims and, and stuff. You know, we want them to, to back that up with some, some evidence or they need to take that off their label. It's not true. So it, it's not a perfect system by any means. But, uh, again, the challenge is that that uh, market just grows so quick. There's so many new products. It's hard to kind of keep up with all of them. And, and each one has its own formula it has its own claims of things that it says that it can help with or, or do um, so there's no real easy answer even to ask or if someone asks are they safe or do they work like, well it depends on that particular product on that brand how much of it are you taking you know are you taking it to gain weight to lose weight to improve health to improve your vitamin d levels um, so it, it's kind of a loaded question even trying to answer, does it, do they work, do they safe? Um, some, some supplements do have uh, a good amount of scientific evidence supporting that they're safe, that they're effective, that they can improve performance or they can help with weight loss. So it's not a damnation on all of them because there are companies uh, that have gone through the right channels that have funded research, uh, demonstrating, again, their products, it works and it's safe. So... Um, there are those companies and brands out there that that do kind of go through those. So as a as a normal person, right? If you just give me like a hundred different kind of supplements, how should I go to pursue like which one works and which one doesn't? Should I look for brands, company, yeah, you personal are, reference? Or? Yeah, you you almost want to try to find someone like like me that has expertise in that area that you know can kind of guide you in the right direction or give you a, uh, yep, no. I have all kinds of friends that will text me pictures of a supplement and they will be like, is this worth my money? And I'll kind of give them a, uh, sure, or, or yes, no. And and you mentioned brands. There are some brands that I, I think do just have a higher standard across the board. Uh, and you can put more faith in those kinds of companies. A lot of those have 
open labels, meaning they, they will tell you exactly what's in that product, how much of it is in there, whereas not all companies will do that. Some will hide their supplement facts in like proprietary blends or like an energy matrix where they'll tell you the ingredient that's in there, but they don't tell you how much is in there. Uh, there may not even be any of it in there. They can, again, put whatever they want on the label. Um, so there's some interesting case reports that will come out where some researchers will actually test products off the shelves and they'll show all kinds of variability in, in what's actually in that container versus what's on the label. And that's a, that's a pretty scary reality that, that that industry can do those kinds of things. Um, there are some safeguards where there's third-party testing that's kind of come into this market. Um, one of them is NSF is the name of the company, but they'll test different supplement products and supplement brands, make sure that they're of high quality, that what's in there is what's on the label. There's no banned ingredients or any kind of illegal drug compounds that are in there that obviously shouldn't be in there. And they kind of put a stamp of approval on that product. So uh, it's important for athletes to make sure they're choosing those kinds of products because if they're drug tested for their sport, they want to make sure if they're taking a supplement that it's been independently reviewed by some other entity and they've put their stamp of approval on it saying, yep, this one doesn't have any banned ingredients in it. It's, it appears to be safe, or at least what's in there is what's supposed to be in there. There's no other impurities in there. Um, and so it's important to find, I think, products and brands that at least have that kind of stamp of approval on them. And like I said, especially for athletes, because if they take kind of a lower quality product that doesn't have that, let's say there were some banned ingredients that were slipped in there, they could easily fail a drug test and be suspended or banned from their sport. Yeah, that's really bad. Has anything bad happened before, like something worth knowing? Yeah, there's a lot of literature on um, inadvertent doping is kind of what that's referred to is where the athlete, again, the, it was a tainted supplement product and they didn't know that and they were taking it. There's a lot of controversy and, and scrutiny, obviously, because, well, can you trust can you trust the athlete? They easily could have been taking something on the side and they're just blaming it on this tainted product. Whoever is telling the truth, it, it's hard to know and we'll never know, uh, to be honest. But there are studies that have been published showing when they pull products right off the shelves, some of them will have testosterone in it. Some of them will have amphetamine-like compounds in it. Some of them have other kind of growth hormones or growth peptides. So that's already, you know, that evidence is out there and that's been demonstrated. So you do run a little bit of a risk, I would say, when you you kind of buy lower quality products that don't have that independent third party, you know, kind of quality assurance on it. Um, again, not to say all products are like that. It's just, it can happen. And a lot of people aren't aware that that industry is that I'd say loosely regulated that you do kind of run that risk. And unfortunately there's even extreme case studies where people have, have died from heavy metal poisoning and, and other stuff that's in some of these products that, obviously shouldn't be in them or they maybe had a pre-existing medical condition that together that combination was was lethal and they went into liver failure or something so there there's evidence of that that happening and sometimes the FDA got involved where it was enough of a problem where they again connected the dots um, and they found out that some product had a banned ingredient in there and that was what was leading to you know there's one pretty popular one in the late 2000s where I think there were about 60 cases of acute liver failure uh, that had emerged from people taking one particular product and they were able to find out what they were all taking and, and that was the issue of why people were going into liver failure. So it's kind of a, a wild, wild west sometimes and a lot of people recently will kind of blame me on hating for supplements and it, and it really couldn't be further from the truth. I love supplements. It's kind of what got me into this field in the first place. I was a high school athlete. I kind of was fascinated by the idea where you could take something that would make you a better athlete or speed up recovery. Um, and so that's kind of how I first got interested in sports nutrition and exercise science. And so I'm still kind of an advocate for them. I'm just an advocate for making sure that you're educated about them, buying quality products. I'm a big advocate of supplement manufacturers doing the right thing, making products the right way and not trying to skip corners and just make a quick buck. So I, I think there is, or there certainly are supplements out there that can help improve different 
components of health. There are certainly ones that can improve performance. Uh, it's just a matter of making sure that you're choosing the right ones. Yeah, that one question I have is actually, I came from China, so our culture actually believes in balance. So if you temporarily boost your performance in a certain area, then automatically we think, okay, long term, you definitely harm yourself in a certain way. Is that the case with dietary supplements, especially for people who do not need the performance as athlete? Yeah, it, there's that, that's a really good way to look at it, and there's some of that that we see with um, even like vitamins. You know, if you vitamins we always think are, are so good for you, they boost you know your immu- immune system, overall health, but if you take excess or kind of mega doses of vitamins, they can actually counteract some of the positive adaptations from exercise. Uh, And the thought is that they are, you know, a lot of them are designed to be kind of antioxidants or they help reduce some of the the damage of of intense activity or reactive oxygen species is, is kind of one of the byproducts of intense activity. So again, maybe if we take a lot of vitamins, we can reduce that and we'll be healthier, perform better. But by counteracting that stimulus, you're kind of removing the part of the natural adaptive response that we see from exercise. So there can be too much of a good thing um, in that sense. Same thing with like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So if you take ibuprofen because you're sore from exercise, so I'm going to take this so I feel better so I can exercise. Well, that again has shown to actually minimize some of the benefits of exercise because you're you're eliminating part of that inflammatory response that's that's a natural part of how your body responds to exercise. So if you shut down that process, you've removed the stimulus and the signal that your body needs to kind of adapt over time. So yeah, I think there is a little bit of a give and take and sometimes there can be too much of a good thing in, in maintaining that balance. I think there's a, there's always kind of a catch, you know, okay, we upregulated this or we increased this, but at what cost or, or what happens if we do that long term? And a lot of that we just don't know with supplements. It's still a pretty new industry, um, definitely understudied. So we really don't know the long-term effects of, of taking a lot of these different supplements because they've only been around for 10, 15 years. Interesting. Okay, so let's move to the next one. Our last topic, actually, since we're already talking about the regulations of all kinds of drugs and everything, right? So uh, pseudoscience and age of misinformation, which is a huge topic, not just in sports and medicines. But let's, what's your opinion on social media and celebrities, you know, advocating for a certain type of dietary supplements or certain kind of diet options or, you know, exercising anything? Do yep. they do harms? Do they do good? mostly harms, mostly good? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it all depends on who you follow and, and where you get your information from. But I think this, like you said, it, it certainly impacts more than just sports medicine, sports nutrition. It, any industry is going to be impacted by this. And I think it's going to be one of the biggest challenges of the next generation is how to decipher good information from bad. Uh, and the spread of misinformation and pseudoscience can be detrimental to, I think, any industry, public health, sports performance, sports medicine, economics, you know, wh- whatever. I think it can be uh, really detrimental. And I kind of have a little bit more expertise, obviously, in the sports nutrition and performance side of it. And same thing, there's, there's people that just spew all kinds of misinformation or anecdotal reports, and they just promote it like it's hard truth that's been substantiated by years of scientific evidence when it's like, no, none of that has been proven. None of it's been supported by any scientific evidence. It's kind of you just well. read that on a blog or you yeah. just passed it along from something you heard. and It's kind of funny because when I was <laughs> watching the TV, I don't watch TV now, but every time I see a TV ad, they always put a doctor there and just say, hey, this is the drug, your drug we developed. Whatever they were trying to pretend they were doing, it's just that like you put a guy who looked like a doctor and they yeah. keep dressing white and that, started saying things. That's, I think, for me, it's one of the most frustrating things, but then I also think it's one of the most dangerous because to the average consumer of a lot of that information, they see someone who is a medical professional that has the credentials, that's using big scientific sounding words, how do you not believe them? You know, whatever they're saying, you must think, yeah, they, they obviously know what they're talking about. I'm going to believe them. But there are still those people out there that have s- significant conflicts of interest. They're very, very biased. They might say they're evidence-based, but they kind of cherry pick science in a way that just 
manipulates what they're saying or manipulates the evidence in a way that it supports whatever their bias is. And I think that's really dangerous because people don't know whether or not they can believe them or not. And so I think people use their credentials um, sometimes in a way that manipulates the truth. And it's spreading misinformation and, and pseudo-information that, again, the average person's not going to know that that's wrong or not. They're just going to say, hey, I heard this from a doctor. Obviously, they're an expert, so I'm going to listen to them. And it's not always the case. So, I, I, again, kind of going back to it, it all depends on who you're following. Some people are really, really good. Um, some not so good. And I think some easy ways to kind of try to filter that out is if someone is very, very dogmatic about what they're telling you or you, you have to do it this way or you can't eat this, you have to eat this, if they say those kinds of phrases, they're, they're probably someone that's very heavily biased because that's not how the world works. There's a lot of different approaches to even going back to weight loss, right? I said there's about four or five different diets, obviously, that can work in different ways. So that, that's how a lot of different things work. There's, there's more than one way to lose weight. There's more than one way to improve performance, to improve body composition. So if someone's saying you have to do it their way or you're wrong or it's not going to work, that's kind of a warning sign that yeah, there, there's, there's something else to the story. They're, they're biased. There's a conflict of interest. They're maybe trying to sell you a certain diet or they own a supplement line that they get a kickback from. And so just something that's kind of driving that bias that you might have to dig a little bit deeper to find out why they are. So, so again, kind of dogmatic about what they, they say and believe or they're only presenting one way to do it. To me, that's just kind of a warning sign that they're not truly evidence-based. They haven't gathered all the information and kind of said, well, here's one way to do it. Here's another way. It might not be as effective, but it'll still work. Here's another way. So if they present information or strategies that way, I, me personally, I just tend to believe them a little bit more because I think that they really have done their homework and done their research and kind of have a, a better all-around understanding of it. That's interesting. Because if I think about how I read those kind of things, let's say I Google weight loss or supplements, and some guy just jump out and say, hey, you know, I've been a body coach for 20 years. I cannot tell how many people destroy themselves by using this and that. So whatever people tell you, don't believe them. There's only one way. If you, I don't hear you saying this, actually I tend to trust this guy more <laughs> because he sounds so sure and he actually give you the reason why the other one doesn't work or at least provide some evidence which you cannot verify. Like I've seen 20 people destroying themselves. Yeah. What, who are these 20 people? So maybe right. he just made it up. So if I just think about the way I read news, actually I tend to trust these guys more, but not listen to you talk about it. I think, yeah, it makes more sense to well, just, yeah. And that's the hard thing with social media. Anyone who is a salesman and good at marketing can sometimes now be an, an expert in that area where they're not really an expert in the content. They're just an expert in social media, marketing strategies, and they are kind of slick like a salesman. They can sell you anything and, and just spin it in a way that, man, that sounds so believable. Or they have all these pre and post pictures, they you know, is, story, is yeah. yeah, they have a story or they have a lot of this anecdotal evidence or the, the message sounds really powerful and it makes sense, it must be true. It's like, well, not always. They might just be an expert in social media. And that's the problem nowadays is, again, uh, that sometimes is the loudest voice in the room. So they get the most views, they get the most clicks, likes, attention, followers. So now all of a sudden they're an expert um, and we kind of are in this age of the influencer. You know, so social media influencers, they make a career out of it sometimes just because they have so many followers that people think they're an expert and they're the go-to person. And and really what's hard in the fitness industry, they may look the part. You know, they may look very lean, very muscular. So, oh, they, again, must know what they're talking about. Look at their physique. Uh, they obviously know it works. Again, not always. They might have found something that works for them or they may have also used let's say they're on steroids and they're not disclosing that. You know, oh, yeah, follow my workout program or my diet and you'll look ripped like me oh, by the way, I'm also using steroids on the side to help me get this physique. You don't know that. You can't see the behind-the-scenes stuff of what they're actually doing um, to maybe look a certain way. So if they're saying, follow my diet, that's all you have to do, and you'll look great in a swimsuit like me, again, you don't know. They may be doing seven days a week of intense training. They may do all kinds of different diets. They may even take some drugs. 
and then they just they don't tell you any of that stuff they just post their pictures on instagram and say follow what i say and you'll look like this so in the age of social media and kind of fitness influencers it's really hard because you, you can't help but kind of fall for that yeah. false sense of confidence and, you know they they look like they're talking know what they're talking about they sound like it so again it must be true and anything chris pratt sells basically <laughs> Dubai, right? <laughs> right. Like the, the moment i saw he's uh he's he was trying to sell something on amazon he's like shirt or whatever it's just like okay you have a body like that you sell anything i'm gonna buy it yeah otherwise how do you get a body like that well and that's really a, biased yeah that's another way to kind of filter out who to listen to who not to if they're selling you something they're they're obviously heavily biased you know they're <laughs> if, if it's a supplement you know they have their picture of their supplement in their post they're getting money from that company and they may not even take that supplement and yet you don't know that to be the consumer so it's it's really really hard and i i think it really gets challenging again when you see medical professionals doing it like dr oz is probably the most notorious case of this he's been sued for millions of dollars of kind of false claims um because of his i can't remember what herbal i don't know if it's green tea extract or something um but uh, again he's kind of been discredited by a lot of the medical community but he still goes by the name of dr oz so people think he's a doctor and they believe what he says about their supp or his supplement and oh by the way he makes millions of dollars off of it so again if you don't know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff or dig a little bit deeper on some of these people you just look at their credentials and assume they're an expert and you should listen to everything they say and sometimes it's true sometimes it's not that's the hard thing so you kind of have to use your best judgment and try to listen to what they're telling you okay are they presenting alternative strategies are they presenting a, a good argument both pros and cons or allowing the the opposing kind of stance or viewpoint on it to also be a credible option uh, a way to go about it so i don't know if you've seen game changers the new netflix documentary no so this is another kind of hot topic right now in the, the fish and fitness and nutrition world so that was a documentary that was uh, put on Netflix a couple maybe months ago now but it's very pro-veganism so it's kind of a almost like a media propaganda for veganism so everyone in the world should be a vegan because it will help improve your health help and help improve performance kind of a you have to be vegan if you want to be the best human you can be and again that's a very heavily biased way to present that information and then if you dig deeper, you find out that it's produced by James Cameron, who also has millions of dollars invested in plant-based food products. So he has a huge conflict of interest to make a movie showing the benefits of, of being a vegan or, or choosing plant-based options. And again, that's a very biased way to go about spreading information. Now, I, I'll tell anyone you can likely benefit from eating more fruits and vegetables. Absolutely. I'll agree with that all day long. But to think you have to be a vegan to perform at your best, to be the healthiest, I, that's not true. The evidence definitely doesn't support that. There's benefits of eating lean meats. There's benefits of eating dairy products for health and performance. So, again, there's more than one way to approach eating. And, and when you see fancy documentaries that come out like that, they're very compelling they had doctors on it they had scientists on it they made a really strong case but if you're an expert in the nutrition and, and kind of fitness world you know that there's a ton of bias in that there's a ton of conflicts of interest they only presented one side of the argument and it's it's just a lot of it's not true so it to the consumer they may or may not know that but experts hopefully can stand up and and be advocates of the truth and say hey there's more than one way that you can eat to perform and be at your best so it's just going to be a challenge moving forward and it's something that uh, I don't know how to stop the spread of misinformation but it, it can be really dangerous I think if it just continues to be so widespread so that uh, uh, the general advice to people who are using those kind of product or activities are probably just make sure you do the research before you jump into anything yep yep so, so for for supplements one of my favorite resources um to point people to is examine.com if there's a way to link link it but i oh, think it's one yeah. of the best kind of objective companies that all they really do are, are write reviews on supplements so they'll tell you what the science shows they'll tell you what the product is what it's supposed to do if there's any evidence to support it 
uh, if there's any safety concerns. So it's a real easy to navigate website and then it has pretty much any supplement that's out there. You can kind of search it on their website. So I think that's a good place for readers and listeners to just start. Uh, but like you said, do, do your homework a little bit, find out really what's in that product. Are they one of the companies that subscribe to third party kind of quality assurance testing? Um, and then if there's any scientific evidence to support it before you spend, you know, some people spend hundreds of dollars a month on supplements when it could be a complete waste of money or it could even be dangerous and you're literally spending hundreds of dollars to do more harm than good when you could just purchase fresh fruits and vegetables and, you know, whole foods that will get you much more positive results and might yeah, even be cheaper also, than a supplement. Yeah. So I know the consequence of it takes months or even years to show like the harm and everything. So it's really hard to tell yep. to associate with what we take and what you actually end up having. Yep, exactly. It's really difficult. So um, is it safe to trust people's recommendations, like people you know? Because let's say this, how how much are the vari variabilities among different people? Like things work on you, will that basically work on me or actually different people will have very different appetite of those kind of things. I would say very different responses, but there there is going to be some variability from person to person, especially in how much they might need to see a benefit. Um, and we see that a lot with like food recommendations for athletes. I'm going to recommend a marathoner eat very differently than a gymnast uh, or a, a bodybuilder is obviously going to eat very different than a high school female cross country runner. So just like you're going to recommend very different diets for different types of athletes, same kind of goes with, with supplements as well as they might need a different dosing amount um, to get the desired benefit or uh, they might have like a pre-existing medical condition that maybe it's not a good idea for them to take a caffeine supplement because they have a, a heart condition that's going to exacerbate that and it could even be dangerous for them. So I, I think it is important to treat each person kind of as an individual and find out, you know, what are their actual needs? Do they even need it? Um, that's another important question to ask yourself. So one of the supplements that I personally take is vitamin D. We live in a part of the country that um, people are very susceptible to vitamin, vitamin D deficiencies in the wintertime because we don't see the sun a lot, obviously, when it's 30 below out. So um, that's something that's probably good for people who live at higher latitudes in the wintertime to maybe take vitamin D as a supplement. But I wouldn't tell that to someone living in Florida because they get plenty of sunshine and they're likely not deficient at all, so they, they wouldn't need to take vitamin D. So, again, we kind of have to look at each person, what their needs are, what does their diet look like, do they have any deficiencies in their diet that they might need to supplement with um, to make sure they're kind of meeting their nutritional needs. So you have to kind of dig a little bit deeper. You can't just kind of blanket recommend a supplement for everyone and, and think it's going to be a, a cure-all for them. So you and you got some recommendations from your friends to say, hey, this worked on me. I took it for two months. I grew up, you know, what kind of muscle. You should actually still just take that thing as a resource of information. But don't trust it completely because what works on him may not work on you. Yep. You have different kind of bodies, different location, different diet. Everything is different. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. I think we hit the almost one hour benchmark. Thank you so much for joining us. I learned yeah. a lot about weight loss. Good. And uh, if you, you mentioned, we mentioned this during our email uh, conversation that eventually you want to put on a website. So anybody who are looking for those kind of professional advices on like on regular uh, activities on weight loss and activities and bodybuilding may use that thing as a reference and, and go from there. Yep. Right? So yeah. Hopefully we have that content coming soon and just kind of a more of a consolidated place for a lot of the, that even just information link, links to examining.com. Yep. Right? That would be really nice. Yeah, exactly. And what we have, right. We will have a lot of links. There's other websites too, um, that have a lot of that information on kind of do's and don'ts with, supplements and even just other dietary recommendations of kind of how to follow some of these guidelines and how to know if you're hitting your nutritional needs or not. Okay. So. so for listeners who are looking for weight loss, bodybuilding, and uh, to use dietary supplements, be smart, check your resource. Yeah. And if you would like to know more, check out your podcast. Would you mind to say it again? Like yeah. what's the name and where to listen to it? Yeah, Clinically Pressed is the name of the podcast. And uh, you can find us at clinicallypressed.com. Um, that's the website and there's all kinds of different past episodes of other people that we've interviewed and some of them are just us doing kind of roundtable discussions or 
they'll interview me on you know nutritional recommendations for athletes and stuff so I think it's a good podcast for athletes for coaches athletic trainers uh, if they're looking for some of the kind of evidence-based recommendations on a lot of these different topics that we've even discussed today for starters which episode do you recommend <laughs> do you still remember yeah yeah it's been a while I have to go back through there's one where I'm I'm getting tortured by a electrical stim advice stim device that's kind of a, a comical one to watch we went down to Madison and interviewed someone who does a lot of training with athletes recovering from like ACL injuries so they do this kind of high-powered stim uh, device on like a, a muscular group that's being rehabbed through some kind of rehabilitative process and it it hurt like hell and so I'm I'm on camera kind of being slowly tortured by this device and I think it's probably our highest viewed episode just because people liked watching me squirm on camera but yeah we got a lot of good uh different people that we've interviewed and like I said the best thing that I've gotten out of it is just an opportunity to meet really interesting people that are true experts in their field and have a lot of good helpful tips for people same thing here okay thank so, you so much for joining yep. us thanks for having me